Frank Hermelitic and thanks for listening to Talking Architecture and Design brought to you in association with the Architecture and Design Network. You can catch up with news, projects, interviews and much more at architectureanddesign.com.au where you can also subscribe to our newsletters and magazine. Marty Retti may have finished her UTS Master of Architecture just a few short months ago, but she's already making her mark on the profession. A proud Palawa and Ngatiwai woman, Marnie is just one of a handful of Indigenous architecture graduates working in Australia today. As a result, her work brings an important perspective to this often Eurocentric field, and she's using her voice and considerable talents to raise the profile of Australia's rich Indigenous architectural traditions. This perspective and knowledge led Marnie to be named the Emerging Sustainable architect designer at the 2022 Sustainability Awards. Marnie is based at Counter Jung Architecture, a Sydney-based firm known for delivering architecture projects with and for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander communities. And here she speaks exclusively to talking architecture and design. Marnie Retzi from Counter Jung. Welcome to Talking Architecture and Design. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Okay, so what prompted what prompted you um, to get into architecture, and what do you think architecture to date has given you? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's um, it's quite funny actually. I right out of high school, I went to a university and did an arts degree, mostly because I didn't know what else to do, and I just thought I would try a bunch of different subjects. Um, and I hated it. It was awful. I was felt very unfulfilled and still very lost so I dropped out when I was 18 and very dramatically thought the world was over (laughs) and my (laughs) mum who I will listen to anything she tells me to do kind of offhandedly mentioned that she had always wished she'd had the opportunity to do architecture she thought architecture was very interesting and cool um and so I kind of threw my hat in the ring uh to do architecture at UTS I went through the Jambana um alternative pathways program which is just um, a, a different pathway, particularly for Indigenous people, to right. get into UTS. Um, yeah, and I kind of threw my hat in the ring just on my mum's off suggestion, uh, and I ended up really loving it. Eventually, it took a second, but I ended up. But it, it's to say that um, you know, I didn't, I didn't know any architects growing up, or I didn't know really know what being an architect meant or what it involved. So I went in really blind off a off a suggestion. Um, and I partially went because I have an auntie that worked at a Jambana at UTS at the time and I'd heard that UTS had this really great Indigenous support um, network. So that was kind of a big part of it. Um, yeah, so I fell into it really incidentally and the first semester was really jarring for me and I didn't really know what I was getting into. Um, but I did eventually fall, fall in love with it in, in a way that I think is different to how people who always plan to be architects do. I think I've, I met so many people at uni who, um, you know, knew they wanted to be an architect since they were, wanted to be an architect, sorry, since they were 10 years old. Mm-hmm. And I had a very different experience when I came into it. Um, and then additionally, kind of the, the pathway and the trajectory of my career was really born out of what, what I felt was lacking in, it, in our education in a tertiary sense. And that's not just, just at UTS, but it's a wider university issue, I think in Sydney particularly. Um, and sorry, I'm jumping around a little bit, no. but to give you some background, I, 
I grew up in a like a really urban indigenous centric community like most people I knew were Aboriginal I went to a primary school in Chippendale called Darlington which at the time was like almost entirely Aboriginal um you know we learned Wiradjuri in school all of our classes were named after um the Wiradjuri words for different animals our sporting teams were named after different Aboriginal warriors and they were red black and yellow so that was really how I was brought up in this very indigenous centric way so when I got to university it was kind of like the first time I'd been surrounded by I was like one of the few indigenous people in a, in a cohort and um initially sorry again when I was younger in school we learned predominantly indigenous history we didn't right. learn very much colonial history I like think I learned <laughs> it wasn't until high school that I really learned any colonial history so when I got to uni and we were doing history and architecture we didn't speak at all about Indigenous history or land rights or Mabo or Aboriginal architecture. Um, and I found that very jarring. It was the first time that had happened to me. So I think that experience of going to uni and being so far removed from what I was familiar with and what I was used to learning, I felt like there was a really big hole. And um, yeah, so that's, we'll get into it a bit later, but that's kind of how I end up on this trajectory of what Aboriginal architecture is and what it might mean to be an indigenous architect mm-hmm. okay yeah that's interesting yeah and um, sorry that was a bit of a roundabout no it wasn't no it wasn't a roundabout <laughs> it's actually a great answer so okay so in, in 2019 you were named one of the inaugural recipients of the uts uh, is it droga 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 sorry yeah um indigenous architecture scholarship and just weeks ago you were named as you well, remember mm-hmm. um, the emerging architect, um, emerging sustainable architect slash designer at the our twenty twenty two sustainability awards. Do accolades and awards like this help or hinder your development as an architect? In your opinion, I think ultimately it's helpful. I th- I often feel a sense of um, anxiety when I'm awarded these accolades a few reasons maybe I feel like I'm not worthy of them yet and I still need to kind of um you know pay my dues I've been working for a long time in in practice now but yeah I I feel sometimes like gosh maybe somebody else was more worthy of it but what I think is really important about these kind of accolades is is um is the accessibility and the representation for what that means so for example, the, the Droga Indigenous Architecture Scholarship is intended to support Indigenous architecture students from undergraduate through to postgrad um, studies, of which there are very, very, very few. So, and when I first started, this didn't exist. It came in when I was doing my master's. I was in my last few years of school. Um, and I think what that scholarship really meant to me was that other people cared about the lack of representation of Indigenous people in architecture. They cared and they were willing to invest time and money into developing and fixing that that problem. So I think that was really important. And giving other kids access to the kind of education that I I was fortunate enough to have. And as well, I think think it's really wonderful that there's been this huge shift in the way that architecture and the discipline is is looking at um, indigeneity and indigenous-centric worldviews. And it's great that we're celebrating that 
but I also feel some anxiety because, you know, there are so many issues still in the world. And, and while I get to be personally celebrated for, for my culture and my, and in who I am, you know, there's lots of people in this country that still struggle greatly. And mm. I feel like I, I'm getting so much props or like fortune for it on the back of, you know, many people still struggling as that being yeah. a barrier. So I have conflicting feelings. I think it's important. I'm so grateful. And I also always want to acknowledge that there is so much more work to do, both in architecture and then in, in wider society. In a way, though, that fortune can also be um, a good, dare I call it, a tool uh, to, to be able to help others. And especially when you talk about architecture, right? Because it, 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 it has applications everywhere and the way things are going I mean mm. you've obviously noticed I, I've been reading papers ever since I could read and I cannot remember so much stuff in the Sydney Morning Herald mm. to do with architecture as I have yeah. seen the past three or four years so it's becoming a more a ubiquitous type of profession so maybe maybe all, all, the, all these wins and all these athletes well, and all these whatever, whatever it takes you in life sure. do you think maybe that could um, give you the tools or, or the ability to actually help others? I hope. I hope that as long as I remember those things and I, I, I hope to like kind of be really gracious and, and thankful, but making sure that I'm making as much space for other people as possible. And like I said, a lot of it is about representation. You know, seeing somebody that looks like you in winning awards in this discipline or in this industry, you know, then maybe some other young indigenous girl from the inner West can see and think maybe she could do that too. So I think that's really important, but I, I just want to always like remember kind of the struggles that have led us here and the, what, what we still have to do moving forward. But I do think it is overwhelmingly a good thing. you've just explained mm-hmm. um, and, and your journey into this career is, which, which I have to tell you it actually sounds very normal <laughs> a lot of people go what, what am I going to do and oh, I don't really want to do that and they end up yes. being the very thing that they didn't want to do <laughs> um, like if you had the, um, the power to pick something anything to design what would it be and why thinking about this a lot in terms of what would be my kind of dream project in, in, in the way that I've positioned myself in, in architecture. Um, and I'll give you a little bit of background. So I, my mother is Aboriginal and she didn't grow up in Australia. She grew up in New Zealand. So she was really far removed. Okay. Right. So she was very far removed when she came back to Australia and had children here. It was really important for her to embed us into our culture and into our community, which she was removed from. And she did that predominantly by being really engaged in the community, particularly in Redfern. Um, And there was a long daycare there. It started in the seventies called Marawina. And it was a long daycare for Aboriginal kids run by Aboriginal women in the community on the premise that no one knows how to look after our own children better than we do. And it ended up being this institution I went there in the late 90s 
my mother was a CEO for a little while. Um, it started in the 70s and it became this institution on the block. Um, it's not there anymore, unfortunately. And it was purpose-built. There was a building purpose-built for this project, Marowina Long Daycare. Um, and it really formed the foundation of, of my identity and who I am. The, this Long Daycare was built on the structure of, of Indigenous kinship systems. And it, similarly, in the primary school I went to, it was all very Indigenous-centric. Um, and yeah, it really created the foundation of, I think, who I am as a person and my identity as an Indigenous woman. Um, Marowina means black woman. So I think because of that, and because it was so foundational to who I am, the opportunity to design an Aboriginal long daycare with women okay. that, and working really closely with, an op- with operators that were Indigenous owned in the same systems would be um, a really, <laughs> really beautiful way to round out my life, okay. to design something that you know, is reminiscent of, of, of my experience and that was so important in, in shaping my identity. So yeah, an indigenous long daycare ran by women would be okay. <laughs> my so, dream, I think. All right. Interesting. So, in, so to compare it to the daycare that you went to, what would you change? I don't think it's so much change. Well, I mean, predominantly it's that the, that daycare wasn't designed by an Aboriginal architect. They, right. they did a great job. Yeah. It was a good building, but um, just have it be, you know, we're in 2022 versus when it was built in the 1970s. So yeah. Yeah. I think a lot of it would just be in yeah. terms of who has the power with construction and, and design and who your stakeholders are. Again, they did a very good job for that time. Um, but, you know, I really looked to using like 100% Indigenous procurement and construction companies and suppliers and labourers okay. and operators and, yeah, kind of the whole system, I think, would be... Would, I would try to make that as okay. ethical as possible. <laughs> so that, that's a bit like using your position to, to bring in others, yeah? Yeah, and, and, and you know, beyond architecture has, has power, you know, but everything that happens around architecture, I think as well is, is really important. Yeah. You recently said, I see architecture that's ingrained in country and cultural knowledge being really specific to Australia. It's unique and we should be celebrating this culture that all Australians should be proud of. Can you give me an example of what you actually mean by that? Absolutely. Um, it kind of goes back to what I was you know, ranting on about at the beginning. <laughs> But particularly in, in um, when I was studying in my tertiary education, when you do Aboriginal, uh, Aboriginal sorry, when you do architectural history subjects, obviously you're learning about you know ancient Greece and Rome and, and Europe, which is important. Like it's yeah. an important foundation of architecture. But it's not Australian, no. and there is a super complex, rich depth and history of Aboriginal architecture in this country and regionally specific architecture. But you don't learn about that at all in what we didn't when I was studying. And I think we should be learning about that in those really early stages in our education so that we can be applying like regionally specific architecture to Australia that isn't, you know, Eurocentrically, purely Eurocentrically yeah. influenced, you know, 
because these structures they're really they're so fascinating because they really work with the natural climate and, and the materiality of country and they respond to country very closely obviously our construction methods are very different now but there's a lot we can learn from the the dome shapes that were used in different um different kind of permeable structures that were used in Sydney specifically, okay. right? There are kind of examples of that in um, in Paul Mehmet's book, for example. That's kind of one of the most okay. ethnocentric um, studies of this. So I just think that there's a way that we can have Australian architecture that is grounded in Indigenous history that would be unique to us and not be... You know, a little feel like we're just mini England, for example. Well, it's yeah, it's really weird you say that. Sorry. Well, I was just yeah, just like in 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 Redfern alone, right? Which I you know I went to primary school in Darlington and grew up a lot in Redfern. Like you know, you have all these terrace houses and they're beautiful, but they don't make sense here. <laughs> they just don't make sense. So you know, there's yeah. things like that. I think we could have like architecture that is so appropriate do you think that some of these designs some of these indigenous designs over time could become a bit like for example the the indigenous painting style which is now world famous yeah mm. it's every no matter where you go people are immediately recognize it do you think perhaps that aboriginal or indigenous designs could become just as well known and just as famous yeah absolutely i don't i don't see why not you know mm. there's no reason why that could it be capital A architecture? Yeah. Absolutely. And I just think it would, you know, it would make sense. And it really ties into the kind of, I say this a lot as well, is that like indigenous centric designs or architecture that is appropriately designed with country, it's, it's intrinsically sustainable because yeah. that's, it's a sustainable way of living. So, you know, all of these things are really interconnected. And when you're designing with country, you're designing with like the appropriate climate which, as we know, is so different from, you know, Sydney to Melbourne yeah, to yeah. Brisbane to... I was in the NT last week, like, it was 42 degrees. So, yeah. it just makes a lot of sense. Like, it doesn't make sense to me to be plopping <laughs> terraces in, you know, places where it's predominantly 30 degrees yeah. most of the year round. Yeah, agreed, agreed. <laughs> but yeah, I absolutely think that there's potential for it to become capital A. I guess, and that's why I kind of call it, like, Australian. I believe Australian architecture could be more than the colony of Australia. <laughs> yeah, okay. So maybe there's there's that still time for Australian art, not just architecture, but in this case architecture, mm. to advance a bit more than we have already. Yeah, I just think for it to be more specific to who we are, and probably like in a contemporary sense, yeah. to be fair, it's always going to be a contemporary version of that. I'm Brent Kermelidic, and thanks for listening to Talking Architecture and Design, brought to you in association with the Architecture and Design Network. You can catch up with news, projects, interviews, and much more at architectureanddesign.com.au where you can also subscribe to our newsletters and magazine. And now back to our podcast. How would we design, and more to the point, Indigenous designers uh, could be able to help with our, from what looks like, Mm. an increasing um, Mm. disasters happening in in this country? The, The main thing that I think of when we talk about this conversation is to speak to our old people um and particularly those that have cared for country on country for extended periods of time so i personally don't have a lot of experience in this i grew up in the city very urban upbringing but you know there are our, our 
in our culture, our elders are, you know, they're revered, they're very important figures in our communities because they have all of this knowledge. So for me, if I were in a position where someone was asking me to do this, I would go straight to elders in communities that have experience caring for country, um, you know, particularly in relation to like the bushfires, right? Like how yeah. do we burn safely and appropriately? And what are the, the, again, these really complex systems that have allowed people to care for this huge, massive land yeah. for 60,000, 70,000 years, whatever we've proven scientifically now. Yeah. Um, so yeah, my first instinct would just be to talk to our old people and understand what we do. I think I value and I, culturally we value our old people so we put them on such a high level because they know all of this. Right. So I think I would just like, I'd be bringing in elders and, you know, paying them appropriately for the information that they're giving us and working with them and, and valuing their input just as much as I would value yeah, a fire engineer's reports, you know? I think I talk a lot, I, I give quite a lot of talks and I speak a lot about kind of reassessing what we consider important or valuable knowledge and, you know, accepting that an auntie's knowledge of country and how to care for it is just as valuable as someone with a PhD in ecology. Yeah. Right? Just because they don't have a tertiary, like, graduation education from an institution, yeah. I would still value their understanding just as much. Okay. Yeah, and so, and a lot of it, I think, is, like, looking to the past for answers to the problems of the future, right? Because these are all kind of, you know, if we're talking about climate change and the way things are changing so rapidly looking at how people sustained a, a healthy country for such a long period of time. Overall, how do you see the design se sector changing um, over, um, over the next five, 10 years? And you know, what would you like, from your position mm. and your experience, mm. what would you like to be changed first? Oof. How long do we have? How long do we have, she says. We have, yeah, exactly. Um, so how do I see it changing in the next five to 10 years? Even from, I started studying in, gosh, what year was that? 2015. And from 20, I started my undergraduate in 2015 and I finished it at the end of 2021. So chart 2020. So even in that five years, the shift in thinking and acknowledging and respecting um, country and indigenous cultures and kind of what, what we have to offer the world and then particularly architecture was massive, mm -hmm. like in those five years, kind of, like I said, when I started, we didn't really talk about it all at all. When I was finishing, there was, you know, a few design studios that focused on it. And I think that was a really great progress in quite a short period of time. Right. And I'm really fortunate now I, I teach a design studio with our practice director, David Kaunitz right. at UTS. We kind of are trying to contribute to that and teach as well. What I hope to see in an educational space is that taken to the next level in that there aren't specific subjects you have to choose to do to learn, but that every subject is required to have a, you know, a layer of that thinking threaded through. Okay. So history, construction, um, design, sustainability. We did, you know, some subjects like that at university. <clears throat> In an industry sense, similarly, so much is changing. 
and developing. And I think the principles are really good and you have to start somewhere. Um, you know, Dylan's work from the government architect's office, the um, design of the country framework has been really an important document and, and it's been really heartwarming to see how many people and how many practices have started to take that on. It's a lot of the principles that we've kind of done here for a long time and have really believed in at, at our practice and it's kind of why I ended up working here. But it's wonderful to see it more widely accepted in the industry. Mm -hmm. And I, I see, I don't want to get myself in trouble, I see challenges with the way that it's moving in terms of designing with country because I see the potential of it going very poorly and I'm sure in specific situations it will. Um, just in terms of people not doing it genuinely, people okay. not doing it sincerely, using it as, as a, you know, a box to tick okay. to get designs across. Because that always happens, right? You know, even with, you know, green star ratings, like it's not all done right. Yeah. <laughs> so I see the danger in that. And when it's cultural knowledge and it's people's, you know, living culture, that can be really scary to think that it might be abused to cause more damage to country than it's right, intended okay. to. But I, I believe that most people want to do the right thing. And I think as, as the years, as this way of thinking and designing progresses, there will probably be situations like that. And I just hope that we as an industry can kind of call that out quickly and be aware that those are challenges that we're going to face and, and find kind of appropriate ways to deal with it. And, you know, hopefully that evolves and it keeps getting better. Yeah, I think that's, that's the key there. It keeps evolving. That's it. And, and like I said, it's a first step. You know, it's yeah. a baby step in what is going to be a very long road. Um, and then, of course, I just hope that there are, you know, more Indigenous architects coming through and there's so many different um, pathways and scholarships and things happening right now to try and encourage that. But there's still very few um, students, very few registered architects. Okay. Well, on that point <laughs> and on the point of teaching, yeah. um, you've been working... Um, in, or I read somewhere that you've been supporting the development of, of a high school outreach program. Is that right? So, uh, to get um, uh, young Aboriginal people and Torres Strait Island um, kids, especially um, girls, I believe, mm -hmm. um, uh, thinking about architecture, uh, architectural career. Um, can you tell me a bit more about that? Yeah, absolutely. I think really impo what's important for me is just for, for young students, particularly high school students, to know it's an option. Because I don't think it's necessarily right for everyone, but I didn't even think of it as a yeah as, as an option for me. So when I was in school, I went to um Temp I went to Newtown High School first, and then I went to Tempe High. And at Tempe, we had a really great um, Indigenous support team there, and we got to do a lot of um, career days. And we did AIM, which is an Indigenous mentoring program that mm -hmm. focused on um, getting Aboriginal high school students into university. We did NASCAR, which was a sporting program, but also was kind of programmed into getting Indigenous high school students to play sport and think about our futures and our careers and what that might look like and kind of using sport as a tool for that. Um, okay. you know, it was And it was really great. And those some of those practices involved going to, as I said, different career fair days where there were like stalls for nurses and stalls for engineers and some of them were... You know, you got to go to a university and got a tour around and see what it looks like. Um, 
And I remember those experiences really clearly in my, my upbringing and they definitely had an effect on the fact that I chose to go to uni at all and even when I dropped out, I wanted to go. Mm. So I guess I just want to contribute to that for, you know, other high school students now, but in the, you know, in the space in architecture. You know, and just, you know, maybe I could be in one of those stalls at a fair and talk to high school students and just say, hey, this is an option if it's something you're interested in. Um, yeah, and just showing them kind of what that would actually look like, giving people examples. So, as I mentioned, I have a lot of, like, networks in the inner west and in the inner city. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been trying to connect with people to have that reach more remote communities and just like country communities communities right. outside of the city because i don't really have those connections right. um but yeah ideally i would just like to show students that this is an option and this is how you know show them a clear pathway of what that might look like um yeah so and my, my mom is a teacher at the department of education mm-hmm. and so you know education's always been really important to her so I kind of try to use that and go through the, I went to public school and going through those kind of pathways and just showing kids what might look like if they decided to do this. And hopefully a few of them do. And that means that we might have a few more indigenous architects in 20 years. I, I've heard similar stories or similar, similar um, I would say, um, issues with other, you know, um, people with other backgrounds mm-hmm. so it's not not just a matter of awareness it's also a matter of um, it's a question by mm-hmm. the way it, it, is it also just a matter of overcoming prejudice yes but also um saying oh, this is actually an option it's not just you know like you know like you should be doing this this or that and this mm-hmm. is here is a, here's option 17 that you may not have thought of mm-hmm. um is this something that you know that, that you're finding that, that, is also hard to actually like awareness if that's the if that's the right way to use it i think it's it's a few things for me it's awareness just saying hey this is an option it's representation and saying somebody else like you has done this has been through it you're not doing it alone and then third which is probably the most important and the most difficult is accessibility right like it's hard to get you know Kids in the city is one thing, regardless of your background. Yeah. If you live in Sydney, it's much easier to go to university. But you go to, well, you know, we're doing some work in Wilcannia, which is such an awesome community and such an awesome place. I was there a few years ago and I love it there. But, you know, going to Wilcannia and going to a school and meeting a kid that says, hey, I want to do architecture, and then they have to come to Sydney, Sydney yeah. that's a way bigger hurdle, you know? There's, mm. And I, I'm very cognizant of that. Yeah that separation and the difference there. So, you know, where are those kids going to live if they're in Sydney? They don't have their families. They don't have the community. It's very expensive. I worked three jobs when I was studying, like, just to, yeah. you know, and again, and my family lives here. I was, you know, I'm very fortunate in that yeah. respect. So that's why I kind of say I want to go and talk about it, but I'm never going to go to a school, even though I, I want more indigenous architects. I think it's important we have representation, but I'm never going to go and push a kid to leave their family and come to right. Sydney just to become an architect for that sake. Like, yeah. I want to be really open about that. And granted, I don't know about other universities, granted UTS is doing work to kind of fix this accessibility problem, particularly around living in Sydney. But the timeline of that is still like five years down the track. Oh, okay. 
or whatever it is. I don't really know. It's not going to happen next year, yeah, okay. you know? Mm-hmm. So, you know, you're talking to a year 12 student that's trying to figure out where they're going to go. Yeah. It's one, a hard sale and two, not an entirely ethical one. Yeah. So yeah, I always feel a little bit about that, but I think just knowing that these are the options and there are, like I said, there are pathways, there are people have done harder things and these kids are more than capable of doing this. Mm. But I just think it's important they know what they're getting into. At Calmets Young for coming up to four years now, mm-hmm. um, and I'm I'm really happy at this practice. I think the ethos is it just really aligns with my own personal ethos. We do a lot of work with you know we've worked with over thirty Indigenous communities across Australia, um, and that's so I want to do. I want to do architecture for community and for mob. So I get to do that. I do really great um, jobs. I've just come back from the NT where I was. Um, I went to Yalara and to Uluru, which I'd never been before, and then got to drive out to some communities out that way, um, particularly for, we've got a few art centres for some, uh, yeah, local Indigenous, Indigenous-owned local art centres in um, Chukala and Kaltakajara. Um, I've got to work on a lot of healthcare projects that we've done here, so... Punta Kernu Aboriginal Medical Service in Newman is probably that, our most well-known. That one's, that one's actually a very Earth. beautiful design. Beautiful design. Yeah. It's such an important project for the community. And in, in terms of it being successful, that the community love it is hugely successful. Um, so I, I documented that building. I was kind of one of the main people in that project. I got to work on um, the aged care project in Nullumboy that's recently mm-hmm. finished, mm-hmm. Um, which is the first, you know, culturally competent, culturally appropriate aged care okay. in, in Arnhem Land. It's and a huge deal for elders to be able to stay on country in their final years and, okay. and receive dialysis or get to do some of that. Um, so yeah, a lot of healthcare. The art centres are really cool. I've never seen more beautiful art than what I saw on the NT last week, it's just okay. awe-inspiring. So to be able to like design for them is, is a real honour. Um, like I said, we're doing a few projects in Wilcannia. So we did um, some housing there and we're doing, doing a cultural centre, which is really, really exciting. And um, part of our design studio that David and I run at UTS, we didn't get to go this year just with COVID. It wasn't, um, wasn't smart to be taking 20 people from the city into a remote yeah. community. But uh, last year, we got to take 20 students to Wilcannia and mm-hmm. engage with community and, you know, everyone's paid for their time and, you know, got to show them some of the projects there. So really excited for that. I get to go back out hopefully next year. Fingers crossed. I love it out there. I think mm-hmm. I can move there quite happily. <laughs> so, yeah, lots of healthcare, yeah. aged care, art centres. Um, yeah, and I, I get to work with a lot of great communities, which is my bread and butter really mm-hmm. so i heard a rumor oh no yeah yeah i heard a lot of rumors but one about you specifically <laughs> was that you are doing a phd um firstly why do you want to punish yourself but <laughs> more to the point uh in what and and then in, what you what do you have to do with that phd you've done your research i don't know who you've been talking to um i, I do i do want to do a phd eventually um, I haven't kind of taken any steps towards that. Um, I have a cousin who's currently doing one in architecture and he's amazing. I haven't started that process at all. I'm most excited, I want to work in practice. I want to get registered and do some buildings. But I would ultimately love to do a PhD and I want to do it 
don't hold me to this in five years and it's all a bit of a wishy-washy idea but as I'm sure you've noticed from our conversation I think I it would be really important to me to do it on Aboriginal architecture Indigenous architecture and ideally I would like to do it with the goal of teaching a history a core subject at universities that all architecture students have to do when they're undergraduate solely focused on Indigenous architecture for a semester So at UTS, you know, we did a history subject on modernism, ancient architecture, um, contemporary architecture. So my thinking is like that there should have been, and I wish there had been, a module on Indigenous architecture. So I think ideally that would be the trajectory of that, to do a PhD, become an expert, and then be teaching in universities. It's a good plan. Well, (laughs) we'll see how it goes. It's a good plan. So what is your one hope for the future? You only get one. Only one. I thought Genies gave you three. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I just hope that I can keep, I can start to and and kind of keep doing work for the communities that I care about. That's it. There's nothing crazy. There's a lot of, like I said, I have these kind of ambitions about university and and how they teach architecture, but I just want to do work for mob and for community that's ultimately positive in, in whatever capacity that is. Right now, it's in architecture and in designing and, and delivering important buildings, particularly healthcare and aged care. Um, and in the future, it might look very different. So I just want to keep doing good, I guess, in whatever form that takes. It's very noble, <laughs> very noble thought. Marnie Retty, architect, a winner of the Emerging Sustainable Architect Designer Award from the, in the Sustainability Awards, Architect with Carlos Jung. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you so much. You've been listening to Talking Architecture and Design. Until next time, goodbye. I'm Brent Melodic and thanks for listening to Talking Architecture and Design, brought to you in association with the Architecture and Design Network. You can catch up with news, projects, interviews, and much more at architectureanddesign.com.au where you can also subscribe to our newsletters and magazine.